This is the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm Howard Jacobson of plantyourself.com. So I just want to say that I love podcasting. And we're now on episode 133. And I really didn't start this with anything in mind except I want to talk to these really interesting people and spend an hour with them. And I really don't have any excuse to do so. Like one of the first people in my sites that I wanted to talk to was John Robbins, who wrote Diet for a New America in the 1980s. And that was the book that first changed my life and set me on a completely different and wonderful health trajectory. And by like 2013, I really wanted to talk to him, to thank him, to find out what he was up to. And I just didn't feel like I could go and call him and say, hey, uh, John, you don't know me. I'm one of the millions of people who bought your book, and I would like to waste an hour of your time. But when you have a podcast, you can reframe that question. And you can say, I've got this podcast, and I would love to uh, share your uh, work with my listeners. And magic happens. And so I did get uh, two interviews with John Robbins. He is the sweetest guy. We did the one, and then he emailed me and said, you know, I forgot to say something. Can we get back on? And that was really one of the high points of, of, of my life, my career, my podcasting. But lots of other fun things have happened, too. Like, for example, about a year, year and a half ago, I interviewed a, a doctor from Houston, a bariatric surgeon named Garth Davis, uh, about bariatric weight loss, about a lot of the things he'd been posting. I was following his Facebook feed, and he was posting really interesting uh, reviews of science. And as you may know... Um, a couple months ago, he and I finished a book together, Proteinaholic, and that opportunity, I think, would not have happened without the podcast. And there have been dozens and dozens of wonderful things that have happened. So partly I'm saying, like, go get a podcast. If, if there's people you want to talk to, conversations you want to have, honestly, this podcast that I do is really for myself. It's so I can surround myself with information and inspiration where I can make connections. And the fact that thousands of people listen to each episode is like, woohoo, it's amazing. Um, it's really helped me stay on schedule. It helped, it's helped me uh, know that I have obligations to my audience. It's not just, well, I'll just do one whenever I feel like it. Uh, but now, you know, 107,000 total downloads. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited, but I still do it for me. So <laughs> sorry about that. And I say that as, uh, as introduction to today's episode, which features Kathy Hester, uh, vegan cookbook author of um, five, I think, uh, cookbooks that have been published uh, with with like pages made of tree wood and stuff like that, and I think one or two now ebooks. Uh, she has a, a Halloween vegan Halloween ebook that just came out, and I've talked to a lot of cookbook authors and I really enjoyed them. And very often they give me their cookbooks for free, which is amazing. But uh, the fun thing about Kathy is that she's my neighbor. She lives. Well, like five minutes away from where I used to live in Durham, and now I've moved, but I have an office in Durham. She's about 20 minutes away, and we've become friends. And so the conversation was her sitting down in the office, each of us with a microphone, and just shooting the breeze. And it was really fun. And I feel like you get to know people in a different way when they're sitting in the room with you than over the phone. And so I hope you really enjoy the episode. Before we get to it, though, a couple of things. Um, I started a TV show. Uh, it's at uh, trianglebewell.com or tbwell.com if you don't feel like typing a lot. And if you just click on the TV link at the top, I have two episodes up now. Right now, 
it's me ranting at a camera because they're, they're, apparently people are watching, like uh, 500 to 1,000 people watch live, but nobody interacts yet. Nobody clicks on the chat link. Nobody calls in or Skypes in with questions. And I got to tell you, talking to a microphone and a camera for an hour is really hard. And so I would beg you, beg you to, uh, st- if you have got time on Monday, they're, they're, they're taped on Mondays, um, 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time U.S., 1.30 Central, uh, 12.30 Mountain, 11.30 uh, Pacific Time. If you're available, if you go to, I'll, I'll put a link, uh, but if you go to um, Nissan Communications, N-I-S-S-A-N, communications.com, or if you go to uh, Facebook and follow Plant Yourself on Facebook, I will post uh, a couple days in advance how you can watch and listen live and interact. That would be awesome. Um, Second thing, Triangle Be Well is also uh, my business. Now, it's a uh, health-related consulting service where I teach people how to get off the medical treadmill, how to achieve true wellness. And I got to tell you, the diet is something that I always talk about, but it's not all that I talk about. So it's really helping people navigate the uh, healthcare system like their lives depend on it. So if you or anyone you know is interested, um, you can just give me a shout out at uh, hj at plantyourself.com or go to Plant Yourself or go to Triangle Be Well, and we will be able to... um, get together and see if I can help you. Finally, before we jump in today's show, um, if you like the show and you would like to support it, one fun way to do so is to make a donation. You can do that at plantyourself.com. On the right, there is a little box for donations. A monthly is awesome, but a one-time is awesome too. And it really helps pay for my time as I provide this service um, and build a health business at the same time. It kind of feels like I'm, uh, I'm trying to learn, learn how to swim and be a lifeguard at the same time. So anything that helps keep me afloat uh, during this transition is very appreciated. Now, on to today's interview with Kathy Hester. Without further ado, Kathy Hester, welcome to the Plant Yourself podcast. Thank you so much for having me on. This is exciting for me. This is one of very few that I've done live and in person. So I'm, I'm thrilled that we're in the, the same part of the world, the uh, Triangle region of North Carolina. And as, as these things often happen, uh, I was introduced to you and your work by someone on the West Coast. <laughs> um, so uh, first, let's, let's start out with like who, who you are and what you do. Well, um I'm a blogger. I write HealthySlowCooking.com, and I post lots of different vegan and healthy recipes on there. I'm a cookbook author, and I have five traditionally published cookbooks, and I did my first e-cookbook this Halloween on a Halloween theme. Ah, nice. And so... Let's let's go into the backstory. So I love talking with people about this because you know the way we eat and the way we think is anything but mainstream, and so I'm always curious how people made the the jump. So how, what was your first introduction to to thinking about eating a plant-based diet? When I look back on things, I could see that it was inevitable that I was going to be a vegetarian. So I grew up in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And I also grew up in the 70s, where everything awesome and interesting came out of a box. 
<laughs> so, you know, box cake mixes or frozen dinners, you know, the little TV dinners with the little apple cobbler that you got excited about, the two bites. So, you know, I don't have the story that a lot of Southern food writers do about, I sat at my grandma's knee and I learned how to make biscuits and we went out and did X, Y, and Z. Um, but I was always very curious and I would take all the spices out of the drawer and like to make something. And I, sometimes it would be at a younger age, like gross things to try and feed your dad, you know, just these concoctions. Um, so I think that's when the mad scientist in me really began. Um, mm -hmm. I would, my mom would make like a roast beef noodle dish and I would eat all the roast beef first. So my noodles would not be sullied with the flavor that was not what I wanted. <laughs> so um, when you look at that, you know, it's kind of, it was going to happen anyhow. You know, I see people who eat steaks and they're like, steak sauce. And I'm like, when I was a kid, I'd put three different steak sauces on it. So, you know, obviously the flavor of meat wasn't really my thing. I, I, I'm Southern, so I had lots of barbecue sausage, sausage biscuits, things like that, that um, I find the flavor of the sauces or the spices are something I crave, but it was never that meat, meatiness that mm. I've craved. So I went to North Carolina School of the Arts for um, high school and undergrad, and that was the first time I was exposed to people who were vegetarian. And there was always a vegetarian option at the cafeteria, and so I was kind of playing with that a little bit. Um, and then I walked into a grocery store when I was 18 and saw a side of beef on a hook. And then I was like, yeah, no, not doing this anymore. It just, it was horrifying um, to me because again, going back to the seventies, there was like a little grocery store and things are in the styrofoam with plastic. And so you don't really see the same connection about, you know, a steak or a piece of chicken coming from an animal because it doesn't look like an animal anymore. It's very clean and removed. Hmm. Did, did you have relationships with animals when you were young? I had a dog who was awesome and was my best friend. Um, I was an only child. So, I mean, I did everything with my dog. I read to my dog, I, <laughs> you know, everything. Um, and I've always really loved animals like any, you know, and I'm, even though it's not so nice, the petting zoo thing, I'm still a sucker for them. Like, if I can pet baby animals, I'm hmm. going to do it. Uh, <laughs> so I love it if I get to go to a farm or something like that, too, just to hopefully or an annual animal sanctuary, you know, is obviously the ideal place to be to to cuddle with some animals. I, I guess maybe because of my dog or just because I, I wasn't as keen on people for a long time. I feel like I'm a pretty much a people person now, but I kind of felt like animals were just honest and forthright and you knew what was going on and there was just no funny business. Right. The, the way people should be. <laughs> exactly. You know, and it, it's just so wonderful to have that kind of connection with another being. And so I, I never really see animals as being less than or mm. kind of second class or something like that. So that's just always been the way I thought. Hmm. I kind of came out like my weird self. You know, I was, I think I was nine when I gave all my savings to the Democratic Party. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and my parents were not 
not liberal in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> they were just traditional North Carolina people. So there's, they can't be blamed for my weirdness. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you're an only child, so there's no way of knowing what the, what, what the others would have turned out like. Nope, nope. Um, I am adopted, so sometimes I uh. wonder if just like uh. my weird popping out, you know, like, no, that's not okay to say those kinds of things about people. I was... I think I was six when there, I was in a room full of relatives who were saying some things I was not very pleased with, and you wouldn't be pleased with now. But I was six, and I'm like, that's mean. You shouldn't say things <laughs> like that to a bunch of grown-ups. And they're like, what is she talking about? Where did she learn these crazy ideas? Wow. It's, yeah, it's, it, seem, it seems like you... For, at a much earlier age, like, uh, you know, when I was six, I, I, I still kind of um, believe what I was taught very, very young, like deep down. But when I think about things that I've changed my mind on based on my, you know, uh, family of origin, I certainly wasn't doing it at six or even 12. It took, it took adolescence to kind of create some sort of distance where I was able to evaluate things. It seems really remarkable <laughs> that at six and nine, you were, you were so clear in what you believed that you were able to, uh, to withstand that. It's, it's weird. It's weird. I, I am a very, very stubborn person. So I was probably a horrible child <laughs> because, um, if I get an idea or a goal in my head, I, I achieve it. And I will achieve it to my own detriment. It, it, and I'm getting better mm. as I'm older. We're hoping at 50 that I might have learned some of my lessons now. <laughs> but um, I was a professional musician. Oh. And it was that same attitude. You just have to not give up and know that you're going to get somewhere. As a child that someone else is in charge of, that must have been just horrific. <laughs> yeah. I, have, I have a couple of kids you could, you could bond with over, <laughs> over, over stubbornness. And yeah, so it's, I, I think it's just my nature that way. Once I, and I hate to say this sounds so girly in a way, but once I really feel like something is true to me, it's very easy for me to keep acting on it. Mm -hmm. And I, it is more of an internal feeling than an external kind of um, praise or fitting in. Hmm. So uh, what, what, one thing you were able to do that most people, and certainly most Southerners, <laughs> haven't been able to do is to separate the flavors that are attached to meat from the meat itself. And I'm, I'm curious, is, is that related to, you know, just you being culinary and being very sensitive about where the tastes come from? Because, you know, I mean, I'm sure you know people as well who say, well, I love my barbecue. And they don't realize if you just gave them the, the, the piece of meat and, they bo and you boiled it, they, they wouldn't be interested at all. Where do, where do you think your dis discerning palate came from? <laughs> That's such a compliment. I'm not sure if I deserve that. Um... I guess one of the things was, because uh, since I became vegetarian at 18, which is now not a super young age, but in the 80s, that was a super young age, and you couldn't go to the grocery store and get tofu. I mean, you're lucky if you could find, like, fresh ginger. That was kind of crazy talk. <laughs> uh, so, so there weren't, like, pre-made veggie sausages or even veggie burgers. 
And what happens, and I think this is one of the things when people say it's hard to be vegan or vegetarian, is the cravings. And I think what they're craving, or at least for me, what I was craving was not the meat, but the memories kind of from those flavors. So like if you remember having barbecues with your family and feeling a certain way, then you may go back to that for comfort food. And also being fairly poor when I was in graduate school, like $5 a week for groceries. And like I was vegetarian then and I was feeding a whole bunch of my friends and we would have a quarter pound of cheese on Fridays. And that was like super exciting. Mm. <laughs> so, so we were pretty poor. So I couldn't just like go out and get whatever I wanted. But I did work at a co-op before I went to grad school. So I had this ginormous, almost tall as me box full of beans, grains and spices. And so what I would do is try and put things together to really satisfy the cravings that I was having. Mm. Um, and as I've kind of gone on and done more recipe development, then I've kind of feel like I have gone back and refined that. Like in every book I have, there's a sausage recipe. It's a different sausage recipe, but to me, sausage, it, you know, uh, vegan sausage is a staple. I want my biscuits and gravy and I can make them vegan and you can, I can make anyone happy with them. It, like when you're talking about barbecue, one of the things that is so cool is that you can shred a sweet potato like in the food processor that takes so much less time than trying to actually hand shred a sweet potato. Throw it in the slow cooker with your favorite barbecue sauce. Cook on low for eight hours and you've got an amazing barbecue sandwich. The sweet potato shreds don't break down as if you had cut up a sweet potato. Because if you cut it up, it will actually cook down and get mushy. Uh And that keeps some of the same texture so it has a little bit of toothsomeness. Mm. Yeah, so it. I think some of it's just playing with different things. Last night, and I meant to bring you some, so I'm sorry. I made uh, a mushroom mole. Uh, oh, wait, wait. Stop the podcast. <laughs> I'll put. I'll push pause. You go home and get it. I'll have to drop you by uh, some later in the week. Um, and and it's kind of the same thing. I was in Mexico for about a week and so I, now those flavors I'm kind of craving so I'm kind of trying to go back and recreate some of the things I had and I, I think that the people who have trouble leaving this behind don't realize that comfort food is really important even if you're eating for health and plant-based that doesn't mean that you can't you know enjoy a gravy you just might enjoy a gravy that doesn't have any oil in it mm-hmm. you know and to, and that's why with all my books i try to make things where i have for most of them at least soy free gluten free and oil free options because different people are on different paths and have different allergy issues and it's important that they get their cravings fulfilled as well right and so i'm, I'm thinking back to your to your grad school days and i was also sort of fl- flirting with vegetarianism and healthy cooking in those days and i remember you know going to the co-op right which is which is basically like like a really dirty space and it had a, uh, like a parking lot that you never were sure you weren't going to get a flat tire going in and out of and like for you know for vegetarian meals it was like lentil stew and the and the cookbooks were were like deadly serious and like they're you know sort of hand calligraphed and people like were being so precious about this. I have to say that I love my Moosewood cookbook. <laughs> Speaking of that, but, uh, 
it's how I learned how to cook. So I taught myself how to cook. So um, if it wasn't coming out of a can or a box, I wasn't going to have any help making it. Um, but it's true, like even if you look at the moose wood before, and maybe I think there's like two or three versions out now, is that basically at that time, vegetarianism was either lentil stew or cheese on vegetables. <laughs> and there were really kind of those two choices. Yep. And I think some of it was that it was harder to get tofu. And I, I remember I hadn't heard of tempeh, you know, for several years of being a vegetarian. And tempeh's awesome. We have the best tempeh person in our local area, too, tempeh girl. Uh-huh. So if any of your podcast listeners are in the area, they have to try her tempeh. It's the best. Mm, I have tried that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. I love it. And it comes in big, big blocks. It does come Cause... in big blocks. And what's so cool about tempeh is that... For people who are transitioning to it has more of a chickeny kind of texture versus a tofu, which is more of a cheesy kind of texture. So I think it gives people that kind of satisfaction that they are missing. Um, but going back to cops, yeah, I, I, I remember that. Yeah, they're never... I guess it's because we were all volunteering for discounts, so nobody ever cleaned anything. Yeah. <laughs> we were always packing up lentils and stuff, but I... Well, there was there was no demand for a, a mainstream co-op, right? It really took sort of like you know wild oats and then Whole Foods to and then grocery stores like around here. If you go to Kroger or Harris Teeter, you know, there's there's like big health food sections. It's, it's like this something happened to flip this way of eating into the mainstream. It's, it's very true, and I will say, not not that it's not hard for some people to transition now as far as, like, learning how to deal with, with what they really want. You know, like, I want sage sausage with apple, you know, and knowing it's the flavors, but it's so easy to go to the store and even start to experiment with things. Like, you can get jardin chicken, you can get tempeh and tofu, depending on how you want to go, or beyond meat. There's so many different... Um, products that allow that kind of transitional phase to be a lot easier so you don't have to learn immediately how to cook with tofu you could get something like beyond meat or tempeh and use the same sauce as you've been cooking your chicken in mm, that's that's interesting so let's get back to your transition <laughs> so you said you, you were you were in graduate school for for music yes i was in graduate school for music performance i played french horn oh, okay yeah <laughs> so, so you're looking forward to a big solo career, I guess. <laughs> Not anymore. I, I lived in New Orleans for 12 years, and two of those I played with the orchestra there professionally. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. It was, it was cool. Um, and at grad school, that's when I really kind of came into my own for cooking. Because I can... I'm one of those people... I love to learn new things, but I hate the learning process. I hate all those fails, and I'm uh -huh. just really hard on myself. So when I was kind of learning how to cook, I was dating someone who was not super supportive and who was a little more like, oh, you should do it like this. No, you should never do that. And he didn't know how to cook either. So it would be different if it was someone who knew how to cook. Um, so when I went to grad school, and then probably five or six of my friends came over almost every night for dinner. Mm. And I would just, we were all poor, so I'd be like, you bring two carrots, you bring a potato, you bring this. And and then I would use the slow cooker because we could do that while, while we were out in classes and stuff, and they would clean up the kitchen. 
And so it made it really easy to keep this, this in perpetual motion. And they were so excited all the time. And, and it was really nice for me to be able to try new things without feeling that, um, you know, like, am I going to be super criticized if this doesn't turn out well? So these were, these were people just happy to eat. Yeah, they were happy to eat. And at one point, even somebody else sent somebody to my house who didn't have any money because they knew I would feed them. Uh-huh. And of course I did. So you, you, you learned how to cook on the beggars can't be choosers principle. <laughs> Pretty much. And, you know, I wasn't doing things like just beans and rice every night either. You know, we would have lentil stew or we would have um, refried beans and Mexican food, tacos. Um, I made red beans and rice before I'd ever tasted them. Hmm. And... So, so did you start, like, spending your time, like, between classes or in boring classes, like, thinking about food? Like, what am I going to make? It, it sounds like... It, it sort of became an identity for you to be the, the person who was going to whip these, you know, straggly ingredients into into something certainly palatable, if not downright cool. You know, I, I've probably always thought about food a little more than than is proper. <laughs> <laughs> and I have a serious sugar addiction that goes all the way back to Coke in my baby bottle. Oh, my goodness. And Pop-Tarts for breakfast. So, um Certainly because of my sugar addiction, I think that that also creates a, ooh, you know, sort of thing around food. But I think it was when I got my first copy of Moosewood, and and I've always been a very research-oriented person. And and I always say, if, if I was born now instead of 50 years ago, I would be, like, the smartest person ever because of the Internet. I'm like, can you imagine, like, just... I want to know what red beans and rice make. Let me look at 40 recipes. You know, then it was like, well, I've heard it has this in it, or I might be able to check a cookbook out of the library. So I really just mulled over the Moosewood cookbook, and she had had pictures of how to dice things, and it was this whole new language. You know, like if you've ever done, like you're doing the podcast, I'm sure there's a whole other set of words for the audio that I don't know. And certainly when I started doing computer stuff, there was a whole vocabulary. So there is a cooking vocabulary, and I was fascinated by it. Mm. You know, what's the difference between dicing and chopping? And I guess you, you, you and I, we were both, uh, I guess, born in 65? Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> um, I guess ours was kind of the, maybe the first generation that grew up not learning how to cook. And it might, it might have been different for me because I was a boy and it wasn't expected. But, you know, even five, ten years earlier, you know, you, you would have been in the kitchen with mom. Yeah, no, that's true. And, and it wasn't that I didn't help out, but, I mean, we made Jiffy corn muffin mix. And, I mean, mm -hmm. it, it, it amazes me now because Cheryl's like, can we get brownie mix that and I'm like, no, are you too lazy to like measure out flour and cocoa? Because if you're too lazy to do that, you're too lazy to have brownies. Oh. <laughs> and, and, and it always amazes her. So she'll come in the kitchen. She's like, oh, that's all it is. Uh -huh. It's like, yeah, really. That you're, it, it takes less time to measure these things out than it does to go to the store. <laughs> but there was another time, like when we were growing up, that, that women were in the kitchen all day all evening long, you know, and so when these new fangled 
shortcuts came out, it was pretty cool for them. And I can understand it from that um, historical perspective. Taste-wise, they're just not as good. Mm -hmm. You know, but um, I was telling somebody else, is, uh, um, I was interviewed for The Independent, and so the reporter came over, and, he's, and he had said, oh, and we can cook together. I'm up for that. And I was like, oh, ugh, what am I going to make? What am I going to do? This is going to make me nervous. And I decided to do an experiment. And so I'm like, we're going to make something I've never made before, and let's see how it turns out. This way you can see how recipe development really happens. Uh-huh. And, uh, and what I had said to him is like, you know what? 80% of the time, whatever comes out is perfectly edible. It, it may not be the best thing you ever ate, but if you made, you heated up some bottled spaghetti sauce and did some pasta, that is also not the best thing you ever ate. <laughs> so it, it, it's okay to risk that. Sounds like, sounds like a great name for a cookbook, the perfectly edible vegan cookbook. <laughs> I would love to do that. And, and all my cookbooks, I've only thrown out like three dishes ever. Hmm. <laughs> Uh, so let's, let's let's keep going on the chronology because I want I want to okay. see how we get from uh, from playing in the orchestra in New Orleans, in, in on the French horn to a career as a cookbook author and blogger. So what what okay what what what, <laughs> what made you get the idea in your head that you were going to do a cookbook and sort of what 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 year was that? You know, it wasn't that long ago. Maybe like eight years ago. So kind of in the middle, you know, I played in the orchestra. I had lived in New York some, so I got to eat a lot of international food. There was lots of, um, there was even a macrobiotic restaurant I used to have lunch at. Oh, so which one? I can't remember the name because it was like so long ago. So I, I used to go to one in New York uh, called Sue N. It was on like 13th and, and oh. uh, yeah. yeah. Just I, off of like uh, it could it could be there like it but everything was there and so you could go to the store like you could now, and get a pre-made sandwich or a burrito or something which is so common now but you know in that time it still wasn't that common outside of large cities, um, but I was exposed to a lot of different cuisines, in graduate school in there so I like Ethiopian and Indian and you know just different different kinds of flavors. Uh, and so I kind of ended up adding those into my cooking repertoire. And I was in New Orleans for a long time. Then I moved to North Carolina like 11 years ago. I moved back and I was working a computer job because in between there, I changed from doing mu music stuff to doing web development and web yeah. design. And then I had another job that was just really boring I, it was great. I had great benefits. I had an office and it was one of the most boring jobs I ever had and I had it for eight years. Ouch. And so I decided either I need to have, cause I have, I like to make things. I like to make music. I like to make jewelry. I like to make food. So I always have to have some creative thing going on. And so I started cooking a lot more and a friend of mine had a baby and had no time to cook. She barely had time to shower during the day. And so I was trying to make some easy slow cooker recipes for her. And that's when I kind of was like, you know, maybe I should do a book because everybody's like, oh, you should do a book, which is what everyone says to everyone uh -huh. without knowing what they're really asking of people. <laughs> yeah, you should really have a baby. Yeah, exactly. You should really have triplets, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 
So, so what, what made you think, well, so this is 2007. So I'm, so. so I'm trying to think about like what the cookbook landscape was in 2007. What made you think you had something to, to add? Well, at that point, there was not a vegan slow cooker cookbook, and there was one vegetarian slow cooker cookbook. Um, and being, and so I felt like that was just something that was missing. And that's about the time I started going vegan. I had been vegetarian to that point. Um, and I had a vegetarian blog before this, kind of briefly. Mm. And vegans would come, and I would veganize it. Because, of course I would, because that's how I am, you know? Like, if someone has some weird allergy and they talk to me, I will probably veganize, you know, make it so they can eat it, too. And so it just seemed like there was a more active community in the recipe world and that people were really searching out vegan slow cooker recipes. Mm. I guess this, this was the time when people really started figuring out that the Internet was a treasure trove. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And... And it was, it was really nice. I liked kind of having that little bit of community, and I like helping people as much as I can because if I can cook, they can cook. You know, I taught myself how to cook, so it's not that hard. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not saying that there's not finesses and that chefs don't do things that I don't do, but, I mean, just to basically take care of yourself with some really tasty food doesn't take that much skill. Right. <laughs> so... So I have two two kind of rabbit holes I want to follow before we, before we keep moving forward. One of them is the the slow cooker. So I've heard you talking about you know the slow cooker for the for the woman who couldn't take a shower, and you were using the slow cooker when you were in grad school. What 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 got you into the slow cooker, and what has it meant to you? Well, what I took my mom's slow cooker with me. She had passed away before I went to grad school, so I took her slow cooker with me to grad school. And not having money to go buy food and not having time to make food, you're really kind of stuck. So either you eat a lot of yogurt (laughs) or you need to like, you know, especially when we're talking, I was cooking beans and long cooking grains and wheat berries and crazy things like that. Putting it in the slow cooker meant that I could go go to classes, go to rehearsals, and then we could come back and then have dinner. Hmm. And so it was like... I always say it's, it's nice coming home to ready-made dinner. It doesn't matter if it's in the slow cooker or somebody else made it. Uh-huh. That's so interesting that it was your mom's slow cooker when, you know, she was making, you know, Jiffy muffin mix and things like that. But she had this, uh, this appliance that turns out to be sort of incredibly nurturing. <laughs> you know, in talking to you, I'm getting a, like a big sense of like, you know, mother energy. Mm-hmm. Like you're like taking care of people and being good to people and helping people with their various boo-boos and and, <laughs> and and allergies and issues. It's so interesting that that it feels like that's what the pre, what the uh, slow cooker has been for you coming from your mother, sort of a, a way to to nurture. I think it is a little bit. I've always been like this. I mean, I was 20 going, sweetie, don't you need a sweater to like a 50-year-old woman? <laughs> so I kind of, again, talking about popping out a certain way, you know, and I, I I, am sometimes overly sensitive. So I think I notice sometimes things a little bit more. Um, but I do think, and one of the things that I've been trying to do for myself the past couple of years is consciously go, what are things that if somebody else did them for me, I would just feel so relieved and so happy. You know, and sometimes that is, what if somebody made dinner for me on Friday nights? 
so I didn't have to think about it. Mm. That would be so awesome. Well, you know what? I can do that for myself. I can make a slow cooker meal and then I don't have to make that. Or like, you know, sometimes if you live with someone else, it's like, oh, the broom and this dustpan are in the middle of the floor again. I'm, you know, you have the choice then. It's this two path thing. I'm going to wait it out and I'm going to win or I'm going to move this so I'm not annoyed anymore. Mm-hmm. Huh, that feels so much better. And, and I think it's hard sometimes to, to differentiate those two things when you're in the moment. Mm. And so I think that, that the slow cooker is kind of a way to nurture. And when I was working my, my last full-time job, I mean, I would work all day. Then I, for a while, then I was coming home and writing cookbooks. And so I had not a lot of time. To, to really do anything. So it was really nice to, to make oatmeal and wake up in the morning, put it in my thermos, and then have that done. And then in a smaller slow cooker, then in a bigger slow cooker, I could go ahead and start some super stew for dinner. Mm. That's, that's such a funny dichotomy about thinking about, you know, your, your slobby housemate who leaves things on the floor for you to trip over and you have to decide, and yourself, right? Like, I find that I'm, I'm my slobby housemate who doesn't take care of me. <laughs> Sometimes, okay. like you know, I'll do. I'll leave the kitchen a mess, and I'll come in in the morning and go, like, "Who did this?" Yep, Who? yep. I do the same thing. Yeah, I am. I am not without blame. I don't want it to sound like that. But 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 yet to say, you know, I get. I have the choice. Like morning, Kathy gets to be nice to evening, Kathy. Yep, yep. And that's that's you know this the slow cooker. I guess more than any other um, appliance or kitchen tool allows us to be kind to our future selves. I think it's true. One of the things I hear people say when they're like, I'm not a slow cooker person, I can't think ahead. And it's like, you really don't have to think that much ahead. You probably do when when you're changing how things are going. There's always that change. If you're using a slow cooker or just starting to make breakfast or whatever. Um, But you can cut up enough onion for a week. And now what I do actually is I'll, because I sprout onions and garlic like there is no tomorrow. And you're not not, not as a farmer either. <laughs> no, not on purpose. <laughs> uh, because I have uh, a modernist house with clear story windows. So, I mean, there really is just so much sun coming in that I've gotten to where I'll just chop up those onions, keep out what I think I'll use in the next few days, and put the rest on a cookie sheet, put it in the freezer, freeze it, and then put it in a container so I can just scoop out what I want. Wow, it doesn't degrade in, in no. flavor? As long as you're going to saute them and not try to serve them fresh, then they're fine. They can go straight into the slow cooker or in your stir fry. I do oh. that with garlic, um, mushrooms, because um, the Kroger on Hillsborough Road always has mushrooms on sale. And, you know, if you don't use the sale mushrooms in two days, then you've kind of just like flushed your money. Mm-hmm. But if you take them and then freeze them, you know, you can use them a couple months later when you really are wanting those shiitake mushrooms. Ooh, I, I see a freezer cookbook coming. This, this, <laughs> this is good stuff for me. <laughs> well, some of this is in the Easy Vegan, too, because I really think that like the freezer is an extension of your pantry. And if you think of it that way, it does make it a lot easier to cook. Because if you just spent prepping food, it's not always fun. Sometimes it is, and especially if you can get someone else to help you with it. But to be a solitary cook and cut up an onion every single night. So just do it on Sundays. Hmm. You know? 
Yeah, you can we can you know, play sad music and cry and <laughs> cut up onions. Well, I I am known for my big cooking days to be putting on Tom Jones and having a glass of wine. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so Cheryl always says she's like, oh, Tom Jones is on. There's cooking happening. <laughs> <laughs> It's like like that movie, like Water for Chocolate, where you <laughs> see have people guess what you were listening to while you cooked their meal. Oh, that could be scary. I listen to lots of Tom Waits and and like uh, you know very dark uh-huh. music, not loud music, but but kind of steampunky stuff because it's fun because it's like um. I ball at Tom Waits songs. Some of them. They're awesome. I just love him, and I love how gravelly his voice is, and. Um, there he did a musical about Alice in Wonderland, and the the album Alice is so bizarre. It's basically like weird carnival Alice in Wonderland, mm, and it's just I'll check it out. Yeah, I love his stories. Uh, so I think I think it makes perfect sense that someone who uh, who uses the pre- who uses the slow cooker bikes a guy whose last name is Waits. Just, <laughs> I'll just I'll just throw that out there. That's a $5 joke at least, I think. Um, Well, it's it's more than I charge for the podcast. (laughs) They've got their money's worth already. So your first cookbook was, and we have it right here. The uh, Vegan Slow Cooker. The Vegan Slow Cooker. Which Uh, comes as no surprise. Um, right. So what did you do? You said, like, I'm, I'm going to write the book and then search for a publisher? or <laughs> I do everything the wrong way. So just as long as you know that to begin with, and we're good. Um, so I wanted to write a vegan slow cooker book, and I did nothing about it that year. I had gotten some recipes from my friend, and then I had looked, and I think two more vegetarian slow cooker bo- cookbooks came out that year, and I was like, oh, I've missed my chance. Um, so I was like, you know what? I'm going to start healthy, slow cooking. I'm going to put vegan recipes on there. And then my friends can guilt me if I don't do it, you know, cause they're going to be like, I want a recipe for this or whatever. And I was like, great. So why, why did you choose the name healthy, uh, slow cooking rather than vegan or vegetarian or Kathy's? Like what, what was the, the angle there? I'm just kind of, I'm kind of sneaky that way. <laughs> <laughs> um, I purposefully did not say vegan are vegetarian because I wanted people who just wanted to tip their toe in a little bit to feel comfortable there. Mm. And it's still very important to me. Like I have a great, wonderful, supportive vegan audience, but I also have a lot of people who are in their 60s and just starting to eat Mm plant-based. And I want everyone to feel welcome. And sometimes the word vegan can be a hot button for some people. Like I always say, if I could hold out two apples and I told you, do you want this apple or do you want the vegan apple? To normal people, no one will pick the vegan (laughs) apple, even if it's the same kind. They just think, oh, vegan, that must taste bad. Or, oh, Mm. vegan, I can't do it without cheese. Or Or, or it's just an identity that I'm not willing to step into. Right. There are some people who are, you know, overly vocal on the web about certain things and maybe trying to get people to do exactly what they do. Um, and I am not that person. And so I wanted to make sure, because what I want is for people to eat healthier and for it to, life to be a little easier. So I thought healthy slow cooking was good. 
And I'm totally like the, the middle-aged lady next door that will give you a cookie so that you ask for my cookie recipe. And magically, it has no eggs in it. Uh, <laughs> By the way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, you like that? Um, and, and actually, there was someone I'd heard through the grapevine. One of my friends had said something about, oh, I don't want a vegan dinner. And I was like, oh, so here, you're invited to my house, and we're going to do a watermelon and avocado tasting menu. <laughs> <laughs> getting back to the stubborn in me and and yet every drop of everything got eaten so I, it's important to me to show people that you know healthy plant-based vegan food does not have to taste like cardboard it doesn't cost a fortune um actually um cheryl is not a vegan and so she was getting some meat and I went over there to kind of help her decide something, which was just a bad choice anyhow. Since I'm <laughs> let, let, let the record show that K- Kathy made a face just as she said that. <laughs> yeah, I'm not good over there, which is why she needs to do it. And I was like, who are these people that say eating vegan is expensive? I was looking like at a $10 pound of ground beef or something. I, I mean, obviously, I didn't look super close. I just mm. peeked and I was done. But I'm like, you can get Beyond Meat crumbles, which are supposedly expensive, and it's no more expensive than that. Or you could get some tofu and crumble it up and make your own for like, what, $2? Mm. So it's, it. I think people, sometimes when they transition that they do, you know, get some more expensive things, but it's just, you know, beans, rice, tofu, Fresh vegetables, if you go to the to a farm or get a CSA, they're just really affordable. So, back mm. to the slow cooker. Um, so then I had my blog for about four months, and a publisher contacted me kind of a weird way. I think I was putting some of these recipes on different sites, and I think it was something like something Caroline. And so they emailed me through my account there and said, we're a publisher and we would like to talk to you about publishing a vegan slow cooking cookbook. And so I was like, this can't be real. (laughs) (laughs) And This this thing that I spent three years trying to manifest. (laughs) Well, I just really started working on it. So maybe I had 20 recipes, right? And then it really was, it was uh, Fairwinds Press, which really is a vegan press. They sent me a bunch of books and I talked to some of their authors and I was like, okay. And they had a, they had been looking for someone to write this book. And so because my blog was out there, I was really one of the only people putting out vegan slow cooker recipes. So they were, they were looking for the same thing. They were looking for a vegan slow cooker cookbook. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so, which is totally not the way things usually happen at all. Uh, but then I had four months to do like 120 recipes. And were you still working a day job? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So you, you didn't get the six-figure advance, I'm guessing. <laughs> I barely had a four-figure advance. Uh-huh. <laughs> I had just enough probably to pay for the food. Okay. Um, and I did, I negotiated that contract myself. I say negotiate in quotes. Um, but she did say, what was it? It, it will only sell 8,000 copies. And I was like, okay, then, then why don't we put an elevator in, in after 8,000? They were like, oh, well, we'll do that after 16. And I was like, oh, you were so lying to me. Uh. 
is how I felt. Do you know what I mean? And if they, it's my stubbornness. If they had never said that, I never would have asked for it. So it worked out well. And by elevator, you mean an increase in royalties? Yeah, an increase in royalties. And it was still very small royalties. Mm-hmm. Um, and the vegan slow cooker was originally supposed to be named the Righteous Vegan Slow Cooker. Ooh. Um, because they had a name before me, and I waited till I was like, done with most of the book so that I could fight that battle because I'm like so that was going to become your brand the righteous vegan yeah which is so not me again like we've talked about it's because uh, I don't like to put things in people's faces so it either made me sound you know they're like you know with the animal rights and I respect everyone who works in the animal rights community I don't have the courage for it I donate, Uh (laughs) you know, and I'm always donating giveaways and things like that is how I can participate. But also it kind of sounded like a surfer dude, like a drug doing (laughs) surfer dude. And I'm like, look, I'm a Southern middle-aged lady. I played the middle-aged lady card. It works really well. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And and they were like, okay, we can do the vegan slow cooker. And I was like, sweet. Mm-hmm. But they did make me take, I have a debris poor boy in there from living in New Orleans, which is, um, they take roast beef and they cook it down and actually, um, there's little pieces that makes the gravy and everything. That's where the word debris comes from because it is roast beef debris. And I was not allowed to call it a debris poor boy. Really? It's poor boy. So basically I have a recipe called sandwich. Uh. Okay. And I fought that fight, and I, I lost it. They said it was offensive. And, and I'm not sure if it was because of the hurricane or that they felt like debris meant trash. I, I still uh, don't... I still have no idea why. So I'm just I'm just peeking. That your, your latest two cookbooks are not with the same publisher. <laughs> my first three are with Fairwinds Press, and my last two have been with Page Street Publishing. Okay. So, uh, again, you, your blog is The Healthy Slow Cooker. What made them or you choose The Vegan Slow Cooker for the book? They chose, and that was mm. fine. And and I don't, and I do have vegan in the title of all but one of my books. And I think the people who know me from the blog and who know me from some other places, it seems to not phase them. And actually, The Vegan Slow Cooker is my best-selling book. So has it sold 8,000? It sold, I think, over 50,000 copies now. Ooh. Yeah, which is, is, is very generous, especially for uh, such a, a niche book. Uh-huh. It's kind of double, you know, <laughs> slow cooker uh-huh. and vegan. But yeah, no, it, it did very well, and it still sells, sells fairly well. And I'm hoping someday Fairwinds will ask me to do a revision of it. Mm. I'll just put that out there. Okay, you heard it here first, <laughs> or, or not. <laughs> Okay, so you were working, sounds like burning the candle at both ends, coming up with these recipes uh, to, to a deadline based on a, a limited advance. How did you know these were any good? Did you, did you have your blog readers try uh, things out? How did, how did, I mean, because I, I, the reason I ask that is, unfortunately, there's so many cookbooks out there that are truly hit and miss in terms of recipe and they, they tend to be sort of older ones or and I know your your stuff the stuff I've made has all been hit 
And so I'm wondering how you got that. Well, one of the things, and this is through all my books, I'm completely supported by a wonderful team of volunteer testers. And some people have been with me through all five books. Wow. And they are awesome. And they are brutal. (laughs) (laughs) Which is good. Like the the first time when I... I I do testing sometimes a little different than some of the other cookbook authors do, but I have a a site and then people can make comments and it looks a lot like a blog, but that way I can see a conversation. Mm -hmm. That's private, so the public doesn't see this. Yeah, it's password protected. Uh Um, And it's it's not on the healthyslowcooking.com URL either. So, okay. so, so they'll is, try there. This is deep web stuff. <laughs> this is this is this is along with with, with Edward Snowden's uh, birth certificate. Exactly. Your, your, your comments on your on your um, recipes in progress. Okay. But and I like to actually have it from all the books because then if somebody does have a problem with a recipe, I go back and see if any other testers had that problem. Mm. And so it, it gives me. A, a really neat resource and I've kind of given up on everybody doing what they're supposed to do anyhow maybe that's being older because yeah. <laughs> so I'm pretty much like you know what you can substitute what you substitute but you have this is what you have to do you have to tell me how much what um what it was if it if it did if it was you know maybe too liquidy or too dry after the substitution what size and brand slow cooker you use so that way I could kind of track some of that. Mm. <clears throat> and I've learned, and like even with the Easy Vegan Cookbook, then one of my testers came up with a brilliant idea. Um, Mary came up with the idea because I use xanthan gum in my like faux frappuccinos because that's what they mm. use. And she ground chia seeds and used them. She goes, it's awesome. And ah. so I tried it and now... That's it's in the book and it's credited to her. Uh huh. So it sounds like they become a, a, com- a community. I think they do. You know, and it's it's so important when you're writing a cookbook to have that kind of support. You want people to be honest, but you also want people you want to know when people are liking something too. Mm-hmm. Um, I think. <coughs> Sorry, coughing. <coughs> Sorry, I, I could edit it out. I probably won't, but I could. Okay, here, one more sip of, of my pumpkin spice coffee. Um, so it's it's really cool. And, and also with the vegan slow cooker, one of the things that, one of the reasons I owned 30 slow cookers is that sometimes I would have five to 10 going at the same time to meet the deadline. Wait, you have 30 slow cookers? Had. I, Had. Could, I give them away. I think I only have like, Maybe 15 now. Okay. I give them away and then I get more and then I give them away and I get uh-huh. more. So I got, so this one I got to ask, what's your favorite slow cooker? I have a couple. So one is, is it's hard to find. It's the Hamilton Beach 3-in-1, which I think is is the best slow cooker if you live in a small house or you only want to have one slow cooker. The three part is that it has a six quart, a four quart, and a two quart crock uh-huh. that you can interchange. Uh-huh. And I think that's awesome. Now they're they're hard to find. You can find them on Amazon, and they've gone up, I think, to like fifty five dollars, sixty dollars. Whereas I got mine a long time ago for about thirty. Um, for fancy smancy crock pots, I like the Cuisinart three and a half quart. It, they also have a four quart, which is just fine. Um, and it's they're interchangeable. The three and a half quart's usually cheaper, and it has 
not only high, low, and warm, it has simmer. Uh-huh. And it also has some timing, so you can have it set at high and go to warm before you come home. So if you work a long day job or you have erratic arrival times, it's a good way to go. But you know what? You can go to your local box store and get <clears throat> whatever two-quart slow cooker is there for 10 to $15 or whatever four-quart slow cooker is there for $20 and be just as happy. Mm-hmm. So they're all they're all pretty much the same in terms of like the quality of the food you're going to get out of them when you when you subtract the electronics and the programmability and the and the swappable sizes. I I think they they are and and I will say it with in in both the slow cooker books that I wrote there's a thing about kind of getting to know your slow cooker because some slow, slow cookers run a little hot and some run a little under and if you have your mother's slow cooker. Mm-hmm. It's a much lower temperature than a, than one you're going to buy now because of food safety with meat. Uh. It changed um, at a certain point. So people who like broke theirs and got a new one was like everything's burning because it cooks so much higher on low than it used to. Mm. So what you need to and I've even gotten two slow cookers from the same store, same brand, right next to each other. One cooked hotter than the other. <sighs> And, and there's so you have to kind of I always encourage people to start off making like a super stew something that you can't burn uh-huh. and and to give it a go and then if it looks like everything cooked down too much you know you'll need to add a little extra liquid because your slow cooker runs hot gotcha alright so, so it's hard to go wrong with a slow cooker you just buy one and get to know it yeah yeah and, and there's nothing that you can't correct as far as if it's cooking too hot you just have to don't make the first thing in your slow cooker like a casserole because uh-huh. things could go, even if you know your slow cooker fairly well, it's the first time you're doing this and it's a timing thing, you could still kind of have some issues. So that's not what you want to find out if your slow cooker's running hot on. Gotcha. All right. So, so, so the first cookbook um, came out, you, uh, it, it started doing well. What made you think? At what, so, at what point did you say, "Okay, this is my career"? Did, was it? Did you? Did you? Did you say, "Okay, well, that was fun, but but I'm done with that," or I'm going to write another one, or I'm going to quit my job and sell half of my slow cookers to pay for? <laughs> like, how did you? How did you turn pro? Oh, that's over several years. So, um, actually, I pitched them some more book ideas because that's just how I am. Um, I say yes too much, and I'm always um, overloaded. I'm always maybe overzealous is a a nicer word to put that. Um, And so for a whole year, they they weren't interested in my ideas. They didn't email me back or anything. I'm like, okay, great. I know this is making a bazillion dollars for you. I don't know why you don't like me anymore. Um, Maybe it was that whole debris issue. (laughs) And I met Lisa Eckes at... um, a Southern food blogger conference, and she's a fancy smancy food ag- food writer agent. And we made friends because oh, she scared the crap out of me. And Cheryl just totally like made best buds with her. And she asked for my book, and I was like, okay, here. And she's like, you're signing it, right? And I was like, <laughs> if you want me to, uh. sure. <laughs> and um, she actually called me back a couple weeks later saying, I've had your book on my desk. Everybody's been looking at it. It's really awesome. And we had talked to, so we had, had, you know, we. she had said to me, 
you know, meeting you was the best part of the conference. And I, and what I translated was, you say that to all the writers, don't uh-huh. you? And, and now I know that she does it. <laughs> and um, there was someone who was looking for a vegan writer to write a book. And it was with a different division um, that owns Fairwinds. It was Quarry Books. And at that point, when she pitched me there, um, my author at Fair, or my editor at Fairwinds was like, um, we want to keep Kathy. Uh-huh. And I was like, okay. Surprised. okay so. I was kind of surprised. And um, nothing, nothing, nothing like a little uh, jealousy. To... <laughs> I was like, then why didn't you want me to write any books for you? And so they said, we'd really love Kathy to write the Great Vegan Bean book. So that, that was that their idea? That was their idea. And I had the best time writing that book. And actually, the second book that I had wanted to write was Vegan Slow Cooking for Two. Mm-hmm. And so they finagled me into a little bit of a corner and they said, well, you can only do vegan slow cooking for two if you do the bean book and it in the same year. Uh huh. So I wrote two books that year and had a full time job <sighs> and moved. Uh huh. So <laughs> because, you know. Yeah. Just doing two books wasn't a challenge enough. Uh-huh. <laughs> but we found the right house at the wrong time. And I was like, Cheryl, we can get this house, but just realize you have to move everything. I will move the kitchen and I will be working. And so even now, like, what is it? Like four years later, we're still unpacking some boxes and stuff because uh-huh. of that. <laughs> so you, you may have more than 15. <laughs> <laughs> I think all the slow cookers are out. Okay. And I really do. Like even at Fiction Kitchen, someone was mentioning something. So I like broader slow cooker. Uh-huh. So 2007 was the first book. I have you know, the, the bean book in front of me right here. So one of the things I'm noticing is that your books have a very 2015 aesthetic in terms of design, in terms of gorgeous covers, great photography. I don't think that was usual in, in 2007, 2008, 2009. They were, the cookbooks I remember had pages and then they would have little inserts, like, like the biography that has like the six pages of the guy's childhood. And you're, every, you know, every facing page almost has a recipe, and it's beautifully designed. Where did that That's come Fairwinds from? Designers, and actually I acknowledge um, the designers in each of my book because they did a fabulous job. Fairwinds was already known for making really photo-heavy, pretty books. That, and I think they're one of the reasons that vegan cookbooks really started taking off because they were so mm-hmm. visually appealing. Um, the first book, I worked with Bill Bettercourt, who did the photography. And in, in the Bean book, I worked with Renee Comet, who's a photographer in D.C. that I met at another conference. And we just kind of bonded. So she took pity on me <laughs> <laughs> because she makes way more money than, than I could pay. So it was like her donating to me. Um, and I went up there and actually I styled for the shoots. So I stayed at her house and we... For a week, we worked 12 hours a day and got all the photos for the book. And it was a fabulous experience because she works for like USA Today. She has her own stamps. So, I mean, I'm very lucky to have been able to work with her. Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah. So when you when you styled, did you cook the food exactly like it was going to be? Or did you, did you like sort of undercook certain things and spritz them with water? Um, 
I'm, I'm asking because I like I saw like some video about like how they do a McDonald's shoot to make yeah. their, to make their burgers look palatable. Um, some of the things you do undercook slightly, or you um, like as far as like carrots or green beans. It's because I'm, I'm the first to admit, and I am like queen of brown food. And there's just no, you know, soups, stews, beans, oatmeal, you know, I got lots of brown. It's not easy to photograph my books because so much of it is, you know, it's every once in a while, like I think even in the oatmeal book, I made one recipe just for the colors. I think it was a Brussels sprout tempeh dish, if I can find it. Um, But yeah, I mean, like even as you're looking through here, brown, brown, red. Right. Well, you know, luckily the uh, the tablecloths are blue. And... <laughs> yeah, the st- the actual prop styling is really nice and everything. Yeah. So, which which actually, as you as you're looking for that, um, if people just got a little like glitch in their brain when you describe the ingredients in an oatmeal. <laughs> So, right. So the oatmeal book for I'm me, sorry. if I had written the, you know, the oatmeal book, it, it would have been like, you know, oatmeal with blueberries, oatmeal with <laughs> raisins and cinnamon. Oatmeal, like, and if I'm really like pushing myself, be like, oatmeals with frozen strawberries, oatmeal with <laughs> flax seeds on top. Like how, how did the idea come to you to do an, an oatmeal based Wow. And that's what I cooked at the Veg Fest. So this is like um, Brussels sprouts and red cabbage and shredded carrots um, sautéed with steel-cut oats and tempeh. And it's it's really a lot of fun. So the oatmeal book was the next book I wanted to, to write after doing vegan slow cooking for two. And part of the reason talking about kind of my mad scientist, stubborn, obsessive sort of part of me, I already had like 50 slow cooker oatmeals on um, healthyslowcooking.com. Uh-huh. And they were they were also not just breakfast. Those those were originally all just breakfast. So, so, like, so when did you get the idea that oatmeal could be something other than breakfast? Because it really it's not it's not intuitive. Right. I knew it could. And I had tried a couple of things in the slow cooker and um, slow cooker oats are awesome because you can wait up, wake up to breakfast and you're using steel cut oats, but they do disintegrate more. They're not those same chewy oats that you make on the stove. And so I tried making a savory dish in the slow cooker and I was like, oh, this is really disgusting. It tasted really good, but it just looked too nasty. <laughs> Um, and so that was one of the things actually that got thrown out. Um, sometimes things like that, depending on what the ingredients are, the dogs get it too. But, um, this, um, so then I decided to make a steel cut oat risotto because, you know, it's going to cook about the same amount of time that risotto rice cooks in and, you know, you can just keep going and it worked out really well. Then I made, um, a steel cut oat taco filling and in the bean book I had made um a chorizo with beans I think it's millet amaranth and quinoa and so the chorizo is like a sausage yeah it's a Mexican spice sausage so it's like kind of it has lots of chilies in it slightly spicy super flavorful and these crumbles um I had made some kind of like little, I think I put little tortillas in um, a muffin tin 
put that with, there may have been scrambled tofu too and some toppings. It's just really, it looks really awesome and it takes not that much effort. And so I wanted to make, you know, I made also oat sausage crumbles. And so you t take oats and you cook them probably seven eighths of the way on the stove and water, a little bit less water than you normally would steel cut oats. And then you put all the sausage spices in there and then you take a piece of parchment paper on a baking sheet and you spread it out as thin as you can. Mm -hmm. You bake it for a while and then you kind of crumble it up and move it around and you bake it some more and crumble it up until it really will just crumble. So okay. it really is a paste to begin with. So in the beginning, you think this can't turn into it. And it's so awesome on pizza. Mm. Yeah. So what one of the recipes I'm looking at in the oats, outrageous oats cookbook is Indian spice tomato soup. Now I don't see any oats in the picture, and it says there's there's a half a cup of rolled oats in somehow in in the soup. So what do you use oats to kind of thicken and to make it creamy? So oats, uh, in a way, I would say cashews are kind of a a. a ethical vegan's best friend. You know, mm -hmm. if you're doing more health vegan, it's not that they don't eat any cashews, but some people avoid nuts. So I wanted to find, and someone had asked me for some creamy soups that did not involve nuts or tofu. And so I, what I did is I cooked rolled oats, pureed it up, and it's awesome and creamy and thick and rich, and you would not know that it was oats and tomatoes and it has Indian spices in there too so it gives it a little more of a pop when you're using oatmeal and savory foods I found that you do need to use maybe a little more salt than you think and a little more have things a little more heavily seasoned mm -hmm. because okay. of them Gotcha. So I just uh, cracked open your latest book, The Easy Vegan Cookbook. The subtitle is Make Healthy Home Cooking Practically Effortless. And this one feels like more than any of the others, a more systems cookbook than a recipe cookbook. It has, it has recipes, but it seem, it seem, you seem to be wanting to guide people at a higher level. So how did this come about? Um, I was talking with Page Street, and we were kind of thinking about what the next book would be, and we came up with it together. Mm -hmm. And um, what's, what's the goal? Who, who are you writing this for? My first thought is to say everyone, which is, of course, wrong, because no <laughs> book is for everyone. Um, it's, it's still the people that are, are, have normal lives, normal busy lives, or are on budgets, too, because one of the things I found when I was poor like in grad school and when I was playing with the orchestra, I was probably poorer than I was in grad school, <laughs> uh, which is sad to know. But so, so all you all you parents who are forcing your kids to practice the French horn, think twice. It was a wonderful thing. It just, it, I would have done it again if, if, but yeah. So one of the things that I ended up doing, because I fell in love with Indian food, like, and, and I think that's still a big theme in my life is that I just love it and Indian food typically to go out is quite expensive mm. if, if you're on a student budget I mean it's average normally but you know spending $15 on dinner when you make you know that's your grocery budget is not going to work out so I started cooking more Indian foods from scratch and then I also I didn't always have money to just do like takeout takeout pizza or takeout 
um, stir fry. So I, there are a lot of stir fries in there. I think there's um, mapo bean curd, there's um, cauliflower, orange cauliflower. And so with, oh, my favorite, favorite thing in this book is the cauliflower poor boy. They let you call it po' boy this time, huh? <laughs> it wasn't debris, so okay. I got away with it. Um, and so what it is is that you take, you make kind of this coating with, I think it's like a little bit of wheat flour, or you could use, I think I use rice flour and, um, and cornmeal off the top of my head. I think he's looking it up now, so he can tell, we, we one, can tell you the real like things. like one, 151, spicy uh, yeah. or not, cauliflower po' boy. Okay, here we go. Yeah, I do. Oh, wow. And that's totally a photo that you would have in like some high end, like burger <laughs> joint. And uh, Oliverio of um, an unrefinedvegan.com did the photography for this book. She was like a gem to work with. Wow. I interviewed her. She's awesome. And she actually, is. she's been a tester for many of my books. So it's kind of a dream come true, this book. So not only did the person who was doing the photography really understand where I was coming from, the, my copy editor uh, is someone that is is a tester as well and has been a tester for many books. Wow, you've created your empire. It, it's just kind of awesome because, you know, then she, I kind of have a, a, a hate-hate relationship with the semicolon. And whenever I have an editor, <laughs> I have to go, I'm pretty easygoing, except I have an irrational hatred of semicolons. And they'll say huh. why, and I'm like, that's why it's irrational. <laughs> you know, I have no idea, but I see them and I go, ugh, on the inside. So your books need semicolonics. <laughs> Ten dollar joke. <laughs> ding, ding. Um, and, and she's just awesome. And so I feel like this is such a, a really good feeling collaboration between everyone and and it's so easy for her to keep my voice and we've met and everything so she knows you know just how uppity and pretentious i am and how i like to say everything formally uh-huh. you know and i never say you know <laughs> um but this is so easy and so basically you break up uh to make the cauliflower poor boy back to that in case you forgot um <laughs> You take a head of cauliflower and you kind of break it off into smaller, let's say, small oyster size <laughs> bits okay. for, or maybe like date size bits, depending on your frame of reference. And you have a dry mix, which has whole wheat flour, or you can use a gluten-free flour blend, cornmeal, uh, Cajun seasoning, and the Cajun seasoning recipes in the book as well. Nutritional yeast, smoked paprika, and black pepper. And then the wet mixture is just non-dairy milk and hot sauce. Mm. So what you do then is you take the clean cauliflower florets, you toss it in the wet mixture, and then you put it in the dry mixture little by little and put it on um, a baking sheet that has some parchment paper on it. So uh, this is soy-free and no oil added completely until as long as you leave off the mayo. The mayo does have oil in it. Um, but you can use cashew cream or you could use a tofu sour cream too if that was something you'd prefer. So you bake it in the oven and you turn it over a little bit, bake it some more, and then you have put it on big thick bread. <laughs> this, is, this is where it goes from being super healthy to, oh, this might be 
kind of a treat. Uh-huh. And, and um, the first time I made it, I actually used just mayo, sriracha mayo on it. Mm. And, uh, and sh- just mayo, garlic mayo mixed together. And it's like amazing. But I have it where you can make your own kind of, I use garlic Tabasco a lot. It gives it a little bit of a... Is that a thing? It is a real thing. Huh. I haven't seen that one. Um, You you kind of have to look for it. They usually have the Chipotle one more. Um, I got it when I was in New Orleans, and then a friend of mine actually brought me a case when they stopped having it here, and now they're having it here again. It's Uh it's milder than the regular Tabasco, and it has a nice garlic flavor, so it's really great to cook with. That's great. I don't don't see how I would ever fit a garlic clove in that little (laughs) bottle through that little hole at the top, so I'm glad they put put it in first. Uh, this, this this looks fabulous. It reminds me one of, one of the dishes I make for when I go out and I want to um, you know sort of passively passive aggressively show show people that I can you know cook healthy food delicious is I have uh, you know Chef Dell has a um, cauliflower um, buffalo wings. Oh, those that's, are good. That's uh, this reminds me of it, but it's very different. Those that's sort of like you know deeply battered. And and this looks like it would be it would be per, that would be like too much on, if you put it on bread. <laughs> like this <laughs> this looks just perfect. Awesome! I bet those would be good in a sandwich too. I'd be glad to try it sometime. Uh, well, we'll have a we'll have a cauliflower a spicy cauliflower bake off. Oh, that would be fun because you can make everything with cauliflower. And actually, in here I have um, a taco mince that's made just with minced cauliflower. Hmm. All right. I'm gonna... I'm gonna try that. So, what are you, uh, what are you working on now? Um, so, you you have these cookbooks. You sell the cookbooks. You blog. I assume that, that that's now your full time. It is. I, I also do some online PR and author services for other authors. So, um, and I worked actually as Page Street Publishing's online PR person a couple okay. of years ago. Um, I'm just doing freelance now, and so I, mm-hmm. there are different um, traditional PR people and agents that referred their clients to me, and we do blog tours, or I help them learn how to do social media. Well, we got to talk. Okay, <laughs> I'm all about sharing. So, <laughs> um, and so I do some things like that. Um, the ebook was kind of my first venture into kind of trying to do some self-publishing, and I would like to do some more subjects that publishers are not interested in doing mm, so a, sm- a smaller book smaller run print on demand or i guess ebook not even e-book. print on demand I, until i get a really good feel for it i want to invest as little as possible um because i'm still paying for editing and and things like that and i had this time um diane of veggiegirl.com actually i think it's veggie Oh, maybe it's she also does chic vegan okay so chicvegan.com in case i'm just like totally having like a 50 space out moment okay well for for for, for people who want any of the links to all the books and everything we've talked about it's in the show notes at plantyourself.com search for kathy hester and you'll find all all the, the links and any errata that, <laughs> Excellent. We, that we, we'll discover later <laughs> Um, and, and she did the book design. She also does some book designs for Vegan Heritage Press. Um, Robin Robinson's uh-huh. husband has that uh, publishing company. And so she she's pretty awesome. And I think she did a fabulous job on my book, too. 
Terrific. Yeah. Uh, so then people can find the Halloween ebook at healthyslowcooking.com. I think I just took the link off, but you can find it at veganhalloweencookbook.com. Ah, dedicated URL, Vegan Halloween Cookbook. <laughs> so start now. <laughs> exactly. Well, there there's some pretty fun stuff in there. I have to have to say. So it sounds like a fairly playful, craftsy sort of uh, it, thing, right? Because you got to make like ghosts and. You, yeah, you do get you know. to do some stuff like that, like because um, I have a gothic dinner, a multi-course gothic dinner, sit-down dinner party every year. This hmm. year was our tenth year, and actually, someone flew in from Houston just to come to the party. Wow. Uh, and so I love Halloween. Halloween, you know, everybody has their hol- holiday that they really love. And we decorate the whole house. And it's just, we have 15 bins of decorations. I have a so whole you, set of dishes. What do you give away to kids? Uh... We have no kids who come to where we live now. Ah. None. Because, uh, because our dogs are a little sensitive to all the knocking, usually what we do is we put out some a big bowl of candy and say, you know, take some, leave some for everybody else. And we have a giant blow-up, like, castle entry with gargoyles oh. and, and lights and fires and stuff. And, um, yeah, we put that up and came out later that night to find all of our candy. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> no one had visited. Um but usually what I like to do is, I think Surf Sweets this year had some really good vegan gummies that were wow. at Target and super easy accessible. Okay. Yeah, because I, w- I would try to give people, like, you know, cauliflower bites. So <laughs> <laughs> luckily no one comes to visit us anymore either. That's when you get the tricks. <laughs> yeah, right. But, you know, if you're going to egg my house, make sure it's... Um, you know, vegan, it's, you know, just beyond mayo, you know, or just mayo in my house. No, no eggs, please. All right, so, so what, what's your next project? I am working on that now. I do not have a contract yet, so I can't talk about it. Ooh, um, okay. But I am working on a couple of recipes and a table of contents to turn in at the end of this week. And awesome. then we'll know. All right, so everyone will will stay tuned. Yeah, keep your fingers crossed, and I'll if all goes well, I'll be looking for some more testers. So if anybody's interested in testing, you can um, contact me through the contact form on healthyslowcooking.com, and I can tell you a little more about what what's involved. You just have to realize that you're not looking at a cookbook, getting ready to cook food. It is it is testing for real. So something's may not be exactly right yet and mm. that and you're part of the process in helping me really hone it down uh-huh so it takes patience dedication and a willingness to uh, to collaborate to be both supportive and brutal yes yes not mean just brutal <laughs> All right. Well, Kathy Hester, thank you so much. It's so it's so much fun to do this in person, and uh, so I'm I'm so grateful that you uh, that you came in and decided to spend the time with us here today. It was awesome, and I really enjoyed it. Um, it's very odd for me because I'm used to doing podcasts or radio interviews over the phone, and I pace. 
And so sitting here, I'm sure I've been making all kinds of weird hand motions and not sitting still. Oh, well, I usually pace too, so we could... <laughs> we're both being polite. We could, have, we could have been bumping into each other. Excellent. Next interview. All the right. walking interview. Sounds good. <laughs> Kathy, thanks a lot for coming in. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Plant Yourself podcast. I did a lot of the outro announcements at the beginning, so I don't have very many, except to say that if you haven't yet given this uh, podcast a review on iTunes, please go there and do so. You can give it some stars and let other people know about it. And of course, you can always share it with friends and family. In garden news, I'm starting a new project that I'm very excited about. I bought a book by Peter Burke called Year-Round Indoor Salad Gardening, How to Grow Nutrient-Dense Soil-Sprouted Greens in Less Than 10 Days. So aside from the fact that the editor in me says it should be fewer than 10 days, I love the fact that you're growing actual greens, not just sprouts, that it's low-tech, there's no grow lights, and it seems very doable. I will be trying it out. I'll be documenting it, letting you know how it goes. But so far, the book itself, I've read about half of it, and it is very exciting, very brilliant. This guy lives in Vermont and grows greens, and I'm actually, you know, whenever I see an idea, I always uh, fast forward it to its, uh, you know, ridiculous uh, limit. And so I'm thinking of like a uh, soil-sprouted green empire, uh, you know, turning every available floor and window space into green growing. But I think I'll just start with like four little trays and see how it goes. Uh, Other garden news, we've had a crazy warm December. Uh, Thank you, fossil fuels. Um, But the good news of that is that the kale is doing really well. It's uh, thriving. We've actually um, had to replant a whole bunch of seedlings that uh, were were crowding into another bed. So it looks like uh, as long as we don't get a terrible killing frost, we will have cruciferous all through the winter. And I hope that all the things that you have planted are coming up as you wish and maybe even coming up a little stronger, a little more than you had expected and that the fruits of your labors have and will continue to nourish you in the days and weeks to come. And as always, be well, my friends.